Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secrets of Galarian panel. First, I want to introduce my fellow panelists or let them introduce themselves. Let's start with Luis. Hi, I'm Luis Loza. I am a developer for Pathfinder. I work a lot on the Lost Omens lines. And now James. Hey, I'm James Jacobs. I'm the creative director for Pathfinder. I kind of lurk around all over the place. And then Mark. Mark, you're muted. It's just like a <laughs> Zoom meeting. Okay. Yay! <laughs> the real Paizo experience. <laughs> Paizo employees I, uh... are people too. Hi, I'm Mark Moreland. I'm muted. Um, I'm the director of brand strategy here at Paizo, and I'm much better at brand strategy than I am using technology. <laughs> All right. So for this panel, um, I'm going to let who are, who are James you? give a. Yeah, oh, who are I'm you? Adam Daigle. I'm I'm Adam Daigle. I am the director of game development. Um, now I'm going to let James give a few um, guidelines for this panel. Yay. Uh, so this is, we've done this panel, I think every PaizoCon and often GenCon and all over the place. It's basically where we all get together and just let you, the audience, decide what we're going to be talking about. Um, the Secrets of Galarian. Ask anything you want about Pathfinder, Galarian. Um, if you ask questions about Starfinder, we'll try to answer them, but that's probably better for a different panel. Uh, one thing that we're not going to do is we're not going to reveal what happened to Aroden. There's a whole bunch of just, you know, big events at the start of the Age of Lost Romans with Aroden, the god of humanity, dying and this giant permanent uh, hurricane opening down in uh, the south, the Eye of Abednego, and the, the uh, end of prophecy and these worldwide storms just all over the place. We're not going to reveal those secrets so that whole element is a part of the world that is sort of a symbol of this is when your player characters get in and uh the story becomes the one that you're going to tell rather than the one we're going to tell so anything else is pretty much uh open field any any questions you ask we'll do our best to answer all right so i'm going to be monitoring the twitch chat to look for questions um but also, Luis got some questions from our message boards and from Reddit, um, and we'll pepper those in if there's any sort of lull. So let me fix something on my screen right now. All right, never mind. I'm just going to see what we got. All right. Um, I'm going to go with the first thing I see. Will, uh, Gekar asks, ah, scroll. Asks, will we know how and why Nocticula, our true goddess of art, has become a neutral, more good than bad god? And I think that's a James question. Um... As something that we've been sort of teasing this this of Nocticula, who uh, early in uh, the Pathfinder First Edition uh, rules, she was a demon lord of uh, assassins and darkness and, and succubi, and and uh, we'd been teasing this sort of 
upcoming transition from uh, Demon Lord into something new for several years in several adventure paths. We haven't really gone into the, the, the nitty gritty about that, but one thing that I like to kind of indicate, I, I sort of talked about this in, re we're gonna have some spoilers for Adventure Passions and uh, Adventures and stuff in here. In the Return of the Rune Lord's Adventure Path, there's this, all this time travel shenanigans going on. And the idea sort of there is that one of the player characters we assume is a worshiper of Nocticula as, as uh, a heretical worshiper of time. That is what originally seeded this idea in Nocticula's mind that she could be something more than a demon lord. And you can only kill other demon lords so long before they start really, you know, getting angry at that. So she kind of needed to to move on and, and gain more power anyway. As for uh, more about her, yeah, she's going to be popping up here and there. There's some stuff about her in the Absalom book. I think she's got like a little kind of cameo in the Mwangi book, right, Luis? Like a, a statue of her or something like that. So, Yes, I think so. <laughs> So yeah, just keep an eye out. We don't we don't have really a, an actual story to tell about her yet, but I don't know if I answered the question. This is something I tend to do. I start. She's part of all the stories, James. <laughs> That's Whether right. You know mm -hmm. it or not. Huh. <clears throat> all right. Um, Zergatan ninety nine or Zerg Titan ninety nine. Sorry. Um, <laughs> Will the Sark. Korean gods be given Eidolon options? If so, what magic tradition will they be? That might be a good one for Luis. Um, right now, I don't know if we have anything in mind for that, uh, partially just because Secrets of Magic isn't out yet and we don't have the full summoner rules in people's hands. Um, but I think a lot of the options that you can come up with for an Eidolon can probably pretty easily map to a lot of the ideas that we've put forth as to what some of these Sarkorian gods can be. A lot of them are just kind of ideas of like animals, like, you know, here's a, a clan that has a bear as its sacred animal, that's their god, and one that has a stag, it's a sacred animal, and they kind of get mashed up and stuff like that. So I think you can mix and match a lot of animal ideas and use that to make uh, cool Eidolons that then represent these Sarkorian gods. And I think as time goes on, once we get a better feel for how the both the rules for, for Eidolons work and uh, kind of start fleshing out kind of the resurgence of, of people in, in Sarkoris, I think we can definitely see that coming forth as a thing. But no plans immediately. All right, one of the next ones I'm going to go to is from our friend Vanessa, Vanessa Hoskins. Um, she's asking an Aridin question, but it's Aridin adjacent, Ooh. so I think we're okay here. Um, did Aridin know Iomade was destined to become a god? If so, is that why he made her his herald? I would say probably not. I, no. I think if he could see the future, yeah, think... he would have not done what happened that got him dead you know like <laughs> if he could see that iomade was going to inherit his portfolio he's likely intelligent enough to ask what am i going to do to lose my portfolio and he would have not done that so um i would say no he probably had no idea 
I, okay. I feel like Iomade stands as kind of like a paragon of humanity, which feels like a perfect person to adopt a, as your herald if you are the god of humanity. Right. So I think that was more it than, than anything else. Yeah, more like a proxy. There's also an, an element, too. There's also an element, too, of, of Iomade. The, the acts that she did were kind of like her seeing Aridan doing things and realizing that gods aren't infallible, that they do make mistakes. And so a lot of the stuff that was setting herself up to become a god is basically seeing Aridan make mistakes and saying, I could do better. So that's kind of maybe a reverse of what happened. Rather than Aridan grooming her to become his replacement, she kind of self-selected to be in that role. Eric Mona has chimed right. in in the chat. Um, to, uh, for those who are not reading along or watching this later, um, he says he probably assumed that Iomade was in some way destined to replace Arasni because he was all about destiny. That's not the same thing as knowing the future. And we can't argue with Eric Mona, so that's the answer. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so another one from the chat is Pino Graham says, what does the land of the Linarm Kings think about firearms with them making their way out of Alkenstar? I personally like the idea of Vikings with guns, but other people might have different opinions. It's really um, kind of, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. Uh, Adam, it's a case where the GM kind of has to decide how they want to integrate the flavor of guns to whatever new part of Galarian they want to go to. We're going to be pretty limited on how we um, show technology, uh, guns, clockworks, all of that stuff, interact with other parts of the world. Uh, I don't think we have many plans for the Linnerm Kings. I suspect they really like them because Vikings enjoy violence and guns are violent. They also seem like maybe maybe this is the way I can use to to kill a Linorm on my own and become a king. You know, this is the brand new weapon. Oh, no, that's for sure. Just just the low, low touching, almost the literal silver the literal silver bullet to to solving this Linorm problem. <laughs> All right, so Waters Lethe um, says. Do we know enough about Old Mage Jatembe to use him as an NPC in a time travel game, which we would likely not ever do in print, but for home games, I think that's a fun answer or a fun question to answer. <laughs> uh, I have thoughts on that. Uh, so we 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 had I figured an entry you might. for yeah we had an entry for Old Mage Jatembe in Lost Omens Legends that actually is not very good at clearing up anything about who he was. It's more stories than anything else. Um, but I feel like with the upcoming Mwangi Expanse book and the Strength of Thousands AP, by the end of it, people might have a better idea of who Old Mage Jatembe is and can then definitely use that to travel back in time in their home games and do whatever they want with Old Mage Jatembe. Or don't travel back in time. We never yeah. said he died, right? Who, who knows where he is? He, he's, he's just waiting. Away. Wait I'm amused by that question yeah. in particular because what I'm working on right now over literally on this screen right here is uh, maybe something to do with uh, Strength of Thousands and 
you can't do an adventure set in the Megami without having old Major Tembe be something more than just writing on the wall. He's definitely, you're going to have a lot more about him by this time next year for certain. Saying that, James, means that the next question is going to be, can you turn your camera to the other screen? <laughs> uh, sure. That's right over here. Oh, wait, no. My, my laptop doesn't rotate <laughs> towards the other screen. Sorry. <laughs> okay, let me find another one. There's one about the shackles that I don't know if we... I'll just ask it anyway. Pirates, Piratey Steve, of course, asking about the shackles. <laughs> Um, <laughs> said, was the cult of the eye and their deluge god ever built upon since Isles of the Shackles came out in 2012? And since I'm foggy about what that even means, I'm betting not. Anyone else have any insight? A lot of the content we do in those, those big gazetteer books, um, if we're not specifically trying to support an adventure path plot or something like that, we're kind of laying seeds, not only for us to build on in the future, but for GMs. And that is one of the many sort of like hidden, you know, story starters in that book. So we haven't really done much with that, that plot yet. I doubt we ever will, honestly. Unless they did something in, in Pathfinder society. Um, they do a lot of adventures and travel all over the, the world. That's so true. Um, I would check, I would check there, but um, I don't, nothing, nothing comes to mind as, as touching on that. So you can do with it, whatever you want. All right. Trying to find a different question. If one of you see another question, y'all can go ahead. Want and me to throw it. one of the, the pre-written yeah, questions do, we have? Do that. Yeah. Do that while I find another all right. Uh, I have a couple of questions here I collected. This first one is from uh, user the Winged Platypus over on Reddit. Thank you. I'd like to know more about the war against Rovagug. Who were the gods involved, and how did they manage to finally defeat and imprison him? Who are you asking that question to? It's whoever feels most confident about answering it. I think um, James would it's... probably be a good candidate. I, I, there was a, so actually in a certain way, Mark, you asked, uh, well, could answer this because you kind of hired me to write a bunch of those Windsong Testament, uh, blog fiction mm -hmm. things. And one of those yeah. entries, I forget which one was specifically about the gods kind of teaming up to defeat Rovagug. He's sort of, we, we don't actually have rules for once you get above demigod status and you're into like Seren Ray and Rovagog and Phrasma territory, the only rules are, you know, what we want them to do because they're, they're gods, but you can imply from those stories who is and who isn't more powerful. And Rovagog is, I'm thinking one of, if not the most powerful, he's, he's definitely in the top three because everybody needed to team up and defeat him. That story, um, I don't remember the exact title or something. It's on the blog. You can search for uh, the Windsong Testaments and, it talks a lot about it, but a lot of the deities got involved in it. Uh, Saren Ray was, of course, the one that was the main uh, stab him and cut a hole in the ground and kick him in. Uh, Asmodeus was involved. Callistria was involved. Um, Zonkuthon uh, Desna was involved. Form, Dubral. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Torag that, um, uh, was involved. That uh, story was called The Rage of Creation, um, and it right. was on January 2nd, 2020 is when it showed up. 
if you just um right. go to uh click on the or, or search for the wind song testaments and it should it should pop up there along with the rest of them All right, so I've got one that I think is going to be good for James again from TRDG11. Um, how is Ravenel doing? I was quite interested when we went there in Mod 3 and Age of Ashes, and any interaction with old, or shall I say, new smaller Chiliacs yet? Ravenel is... is is having kind of a tough time. I mean, they've got growing pains. It's a brand new nation. They're sort of wedged between Cheliax, which is the nation that worships the devil, and Nadal, which is, of course, up here, the nation that worships the Cenobites. Um, so they are, they're kind of in a, a classic rock and the hard place sort of area. Um, going there during Age of Ashes is specifically something I wanted to do to explore how this new nation is, is growing. Uh, they are, at this point, negotiating more diplomacy type situations with Nadal, trying to shore up their defenses there, but they're, they're kind of taking that careful because, you know, Nadal is as evil, potentially as evil as uh, Cheliax. Um, they're also building up their uh, uh, alliances with um, Varicia and with some of the uh, aquatic elf nations off offshore down in the ocean. Um, there's a little bit, the adventure that I've uh, been, that's been in customs, been in customs for like two or three months now, uh, Malevolence, actually takes place in Ravenel. It doesn't really do much about the current setup in there, but one of the, one of the, the elements there is that um, it's about a haunted house. And one of the plot uh, points that you can start the adventure on, the adventure hook, is that somebody in your group turns out to inherit this, this old creepy house down in the southwest corner of... Um, of Ravenel. And uh, since Ravenel's kind of going through like all of these, these redacted contracts and stuff like that, they're trying to figure out who actually owns all of this land that Cheliax used to like part out to pair accounts and all this other thing. So they're really kind of picking up the pieces and sort of figuring out where they're at right now. Um, the adventure I'm running actually for uh, a campaign that's it's been on hiatus for several months is set in, in Ravenel. And I've was exploring a lot of that sort of, you know, new nation trying to deal with with um, just its, its place in the world and the fact that it has spent several decades under this regime that has like kind of been going out of their way to cut out their history. So hopefully things will, will look up for them because I, I like Ravenel. All right. So another one here we've got from Shreyu. Um, why has Galt, that I can answer, um, why has Galt been in a state of bloody revolution for so long? It seems like they would run out of people to execute by now, or at least found new leadership by now, if not simply get exhausted of the revolution by now, which yes, the people of, uh, Galt are really hating that. And there has been turns in leadership over the years. Um, as for the why um pick up night of the gray death coming out later this year do we want to show them the art art piece number nine? Ooh, oh yeah yeah do we it. have that yes do it yeah yeah night of the gray death uh as that art comes up night of the gray death is an adventure that i've been hopefully wanting to wanting us to do for a while and and um it's very much 
the adventure. This sure, I'm, I don't want to spoil too much, but this adventure resolves a lot of what's going on in Galt and lets your player characters be part of that resolution. That's why it's for 16th level uh, characters. It's it's a big deal. Right. Yeah. It needs to be something high level to satisfyingly answer that question. Would you call it a bloody resolution? Ah, <laughs> uh, could be. Depends on uh, your player character. Uh, yeah, it's player character. This is going to be very bloody. <laughs> All right. So, Angry Birds asks a question that is actually probably something that's a secret that I don't know if we can reveal, but I'm going to kick this to Luis. Is Arasni oh, okay. backing the Crimson Reclaimers? Oh, boy. Um, there sure are hints that someone like Arasni is is maybe backing the Crimson Reclaimers. I like to think that it's Ragathiel that's doing it. We don't have an answer in print at the moment. Um, but I think we might have an idea as to who's doing it and then are going to tell you anyone but that and throw you off the scent for the next five years until we decide we want to reveal it. That makes sense. So it's not Regathiel is what you're saying. Uh, it's not Regathiel or Arasni is a thing. That's what you should be picking up on this. Huh. Yeah, I, I think the... Or I think the operative word here I think the operative word here is unrevealed. Um or ask you know, again the, later. The Kung Fu things like who do you think it should be? <laughs> then as a follow-up to one of to the Galt question, um someone asked, Will the Galt revolution end? And it's like, maybe? Like, it depends on what the characters do in Night of the Grey Death, but also sometimes people like to fight. So I think the biggest threat will be eliminated if the characters are successful, but Galt's going to Galt sometimes. <laughs> it's definitely, the adventure is definitely um, set up so that if your player characters go through and and win, they can... They can basically redeem, save Galt, start something new. But until we publish a book that it, that replaces Galt, you know, that, that says what is in Galt next, um, you know, that, it, until those events canonically happen, it, it's... This adventure comes pretty close to canonizing those. Well, there you go. All right. I should probably read ahead. <clears throat> <laughs> so Joe the Shark NYC asks, would a god like Shellen even bother being a witch's patron, or is that just too mundane? I think absolutely she'd bother. I mean, to a certain extent, um the gods are not people. They get to do things better than people do. So if if Shell if, if Shellen is a goddess who can, you know support entire faiths on on countless worlds and realities and all she can handle a few witch patrons as well absolutely and we, and our um initial uh meet the iconics backstory for um for Feia, uh 
hinted that maybe she was uh being patronized by uh by desna um maybe mm -hmm. um so it, it's not out out of the realm of possibility that a god or one of a god's agents um could act as as a patron but but part of the thing that makes a witch witch's patron a witch's patron um is that you never really know fully exactly who who it is there's always some mystery involved um you know because you, you they they don't act actively interact with their patron they use the intermediary of their familiar and you know there's only so much a little animal can yeah there's this there's a character trope that I see people really uh, enjoy a lot where, where it's like, I want to, I want to have a character that thinks they worship something, but in, in fact gains their power from something else entirely. And that just doesn't work with clerics. It works really well with uh, witches. It works pretty well with the oracles. Um, Absolutely. So Zergatan 99, another God question. Does the God Tsukio have any temples in the inner sea region? If so, where? This might be a good one for Louise, but I think all three of you could answer that pretty well. I think um, the safest thing to assume is if they were a, a god that was featured in Gods and Magic, along with the core 20 deities, there was like the other 20 deities with like Milani and Tsukio and, and the others. Assume that they, at the very least, have some kind of worship in Absalom, and then from there, that faith can kind of build out in whatever direction it needs to go. So if you're looking for, you know, reasoning for your player character to say, hey, how did they learn about this deity? Maybe that, that faith started in Absalom because it was brought in from the rest of the world and then brought out to wherever it needs to. Um, and I think there are probably pockets all over the place. Someone like Tsukio maybe has something up close to the lands of the Linorm Kings or near Verissia because of that travel from the, the crown of the world that connects the, the north of Avistan to Tiansha and stuff like that. That makes sense. All right, Darren C. asks... Oh. oh, go ahead. Keep going. Um, I was just going to say, there's also no other real god of the moon. So, I mean, this is a celestial body that's people in Avistan would see just as much as they see the sun. So um, th there's no reason to think that they wouldn't know of Sukio, even if he's not a, a super, you know, uh, present God. Right. Darren C. asks, what was the fate of the Dwarven Kings of the Five King Mountains, as it is not definitive if they died or suffered a darker fate. Anyone have anything for that? I don't. That sounds not like it's definitive. Really... It's not definitive. Yeah. 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 I think the closest thing we ever got was mentioning Targic in Legends, and it mentions that you know he he died, but also had regrets at the end of his life. But that that's about it. So, who knows? Maybe they're still alive because being some of the first dwarves that rule the first sky citadels might come with extra benefits that we don't know about yet. There may have been some hints and such. Um, the fourth age of ashes adventure. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not something we've really done a lot of, of, of work with yet. All right. 
Luis, pop another one of those questions while I find something else. Okay. And also, uh, chat. This, uh... One, I want to remind chat one thing. We're here to talk about lore and stuff, not product, when a product's going to come out or any of that stuff, or what products are upcoming. There are other panels for that. So yeah. keep it to lore have, questions. We won't have rules answers either. Uh, right. So, um, <laughs> uh, user here uh, by the name Irregular Null is asking: Is the Dominion of the Black up to anything we might see soon? And I feel that's definitely a James question. Uh yes, the Dominion of the Black is for sure up to things. Um, <laughs> don't want to again get into too many spoilers, but uh, uh, I wish it wasn't stuck in customs because we could talk more about it. But malevolence is involving certain Dominion of the Black adjacent uh, shenanigans. The uh, the big story that we did with them uh, during the playtest with uh, Doomsday Dawn kind of closed out a, a long ongoing story we were telling about them during first edition, but it's not the only story left to tell. There's, there's I've got in my rattling around in my head, a sequel to Iron Gods that uh, plays up what was going on in Valley of the Brain Collectors. And so there's a lot more Dominion of the Black stuff that I, I could see happening. All right, so I'm gonna pick this one and I'm probably not gonna have a satisfying answer, but I'm gonna, and ask the question anyway, because one of you might have more. Um, Severin Laureat asks, can you tell us anything about who built the Stone Circle Pond in Otari? And like I developed Troubles in Otari and none of that information was in that, but since it isn't to Abomination Vaults, which James did some work on, he might know. Yeah, it's... um. It's basically just a, a, an old druid circle. So it doesn't really, there's not like any secrets or lore built into the, the region. Uh, when I built Atari, I did a lot of the same thing I did when I was building Sandpoint as I, I looked back at my hometown for inspiration and looked at regional threats and stuff like that and tried to get information in there. And the stone circle is really there to give the the uh, druids in sort of this werewolf element um, an anchor to, to Garam. But but there's nothing really in my head that is unpublished lore about who who built it. So that's I I guess at this point a pretty safe place for if you want to expand on it in your game uh, to do so without worrying that we're gonna overwrite what you do sometime in the future. Um, one chapter of the um, the novella that Leanne oh, right. Merciel wrote that's sort of tied in with um, with our Otari products um, called the Shroud of Four Silences. Um, which is uh, it's it was originally emailed out to our uh, members of our mailing list, um, chapter uh, chapter by chapter, um, but is now available. You can buy it on on the Kindle store or Paizo.com. Um, one chapter there takes place at the at the pond. Um, so um, if you're looking for a little bit more about the location, but it doesn't reveal anything about its past. So um, as James said, it's free for you to do what you want. All right, so I'm going to take this one just to address it, um, even though I don't typically address alignment and polite company, but uh, Coro 7600. It's okay. I'm here. Coro's, it's not polite company. 
Koro7600 asks, is the alignment of Galarian still shifting towards evil, or has the closing of the world wound stopped that? And I don't necessarily think that we've ever stated that the alignment of Galarian is shifting towards evil, but I think our creative director would probably have some words on all of this. Yeah, it's not shifting anywhere. It, it's Galarian is intended. It, first and foremost, we invented Galarian as a place for you know your stories to happen, your characters to become heroes, and if there's not you know awful villainous stuff going on all the time in Galarian, then you don't have anything to do there. So we don't have any adventures to publish there. So it's not that Galarian is shifting toward evil or chaos, even as much as it is. Um, it's just a place where there's a lot of things for heroes to go be heroic for. Um, so it's, if anything, the point at which we stop having evil things happening in Galarian comes comes along. That's the point where we, you know, pull the switch and turn it off and say, all right, all of your player characters win. Uh, Galarian is now a perfectly safe place to, to, to live. We're doing something else. So. I don't see that happening. And it's called Starfinder. Galarian then goes away, and then you play Starfinder. That's that's what caused the gap. It got too safe. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Brian273 asks, excuse me, what's the relationship between Ragadan and Fafner? Well, I think doesn't I, I, from what I know about Fafn here, he he claims uh, that he had to leave the first world, and some stories per, uh, think that it might be because he got in trouble with the eldest. Um, I don't know if there's at least off the top of my head any direct connection with Ragadan, but um, it definitely seems like if you know the father of all Lenormzi, the the greatest Lenorm of all time on Galarian got into some trouble in the first role, they probably at least would have gotten some of the attention of Raganan, especially him being a, a kind of a water dragon serpent thing. Uh, so if there's uh, any kind of direct connection, I don't think there, there's one that I can recall, but it definitely it wouldn't be outside of the realm of possibility that the, that those two kind of maybe crossed paths or, or got some whiff of each other uh, over the years. All right, this one's going to be totally. He had to leave the first world. Oh, we keep doing that. Um, the <laughs> it could also be that the reason that he had to leave the first world is that the eldest he he pissed off was Ragadan. Yeah. So if you want there to be a connection, there's a plot hook right there that you can run with um, until we say yeah, something about it. All right, so. This is going to be probably, our answers are going to be purely speculative, unless anyone on the panel actually thought about this, but I found it an intriguing question um, Mm. asked by that person you may know, asked, what would things be like on the surface of Grotus? (laughs) That's a great question. That's my favorite so far. Very sad. Uh, imagine like being on the surface of the moon, but always feeling that you're being watched. And then every once in a while, one of the craters you're standing in like closes as it blinks on you. 
that's creepy. It's, I mean, now that I say that, there's also this element of like, when I was working on Planar Adventures, I, I started getting my head stuck in this place where it's like, when we talk about, you know, other planes, they don't have magnetic north. They don't necessarily even have stars in the sky. So I, I was really trying to set up for all of these different planes. What happens, you know, when you navigate, you, how do you navigate? Uh, what do you see when you look up in the sky? Is there even a day-night cycle? Um, and I think the, the weird thing, if you were on, if you were on the surface of Grotus, uh, it would be, you would be able to just look right down onto the boneyard and just see the entire thing spread out below you. And, uh, that are probably, I mean, kind of like looking up into the sky and seeing just these lines of these, these, rather than the stars, just these kind of ribbons going through all of the sky above of, of all of these different lines of dead souls waiting to be judged would be um, a, a fun way to remind yourself of the place in the multiverse. Mark, do you want to say anything before I interrupt you again? <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Um, <clears throat> where was it? Okay, TRDG. 11 asked anything new or old going down in the um strike trademarked term darklands <laughs> hmm. i keep pushing for us to do i mean we keep whenever we're talking about a new adventure path the the idea of a darklands theme adventure path keeps coming up so there's definitely stuff going on down there um abomination vaults yes, touches there's... on it very very briefly there's a little bit in Extinction Curse, too. Mm, you, that's right. The Dark Lanes. I think you hit up a vault proper in Extinction Curse. So, yeah. I mean, there, there's, there's yeah, some I mean, stuff ultimately, Yeah, ultimately, the Dark Lands are like three layers that are all as robust and populated by stuff as the surface. So if there's stuff going on on the surface, then there's just as much stuff happening down there. So... Um, that that i think is is uh a safe assumption uh part of the thing that makes the dark lands fun is that um it's easy to forget about you know it's easy to forget that it's down there so um like like uh Luis and james said you know we we touch upon it here and there um in adventures just as a reminder that there's this other ecosystem down there um but aside from some setting books, we and the Second Darkness AP way, way, way back in the before times, um, we've never really done anything that was fully set in the in the Darklands. So, all Any right. So Fritterfay, Fritterfay asks a question, and is jumps to a part of the uh, world that we haven't talked about yet in any of this. It says over in Rahadum. The town of Botosani has been struggling against the Pure Legion for years. With so much change with Vidrian and Ravenel, is Botosani in line for a change? And I don't know how much. I don't know if any of us are experts in Rahadum, but I know Luis has worked a lot in the world, so. Rahadum definitely feels like a place where if you wanted to in in your home campaigns kind of strike up that whole you know maybe religion tries to worm its way back in or or, or something like that um, 
definitely a great place for a story like that. Revolution definitely seems like a, a prime idea for that kind of thing. It's not anything I think we're kind of hinting at at the moment, but uh, doesn't, you know, never say never. And there, there's always chances at something like that. We might not see the, a full-on revolution on screen, you know, in an adventure. We might start seeing the, the first bits of tracking laid forth in the future for stuff like that. All right. Next one, we've got Koro7600 again, asking, have the Knights of Last Wall found a permanent home in Absalom, or are they looking to take up residence somewhere else? I, I am confident in, in answering this one. Uh, the Knights of Last Wall are not at all looking to settle down until they've taken back their home of, of, of former Last Wall, of current Gravelands. Um, if, there's, if they're going to settle down, it's going to be the, their home that used to belong to them. Uh, so if anything, right now, they are spreading out more and more to get more help to come back to the Gravelands, clear it all out of, of any undead, put a stop to you know, some guy called the Whispering Tyrant and, and you know, bring about good into the world. Uh, Absalom is kind of just a, a kind of checkpoint and a, a nice little place where they can recruit more people to the cause and, you know, use that kind of as a staging area to send out resources wherever they need. But for the moment, they're not looking for a home. They're looking to make everything safe before they can settle down again. Right, Luis hit another one of those questions. I realized that I've got a lot to catch up on here in the chat. Oh boy, no problem. I have one here from user Adriva on Reddit, uh, who would love to know more about uh, what's going on in Kionin and what's going on with its leader, uh, Talandia. Uh, they mentioned that Tree Racer seemed to be a, an important figure early on in second edition, but uh, Kionin itself hasn't really gotten much attention. And I feel like, James, again, you feel you might have a, a lot of ideas about what's going on with Kionin and, and Tree Razor, but I will point out that we mentioned uh, Talandia in Lost Omens Legends, so at the very least you can catch up a little bit with her in that book. Yeah, we definitely decided when we were doing second edition we needed a, a boss monster, I guess is what I'll call it, for the bestiary. And in first edition, that was the Tarrasque, which is this classic giant Godzilla monster that has been around in the game uh, previous editions of D&D &D and all that from the start. With second edition, we really wanted to have our own kind of tough guy in, in our in our main book. So we we sent the Tarrasque on to, you know, he's, he's asleep. He's, he's not really doing anything. And we brought in Tree Razor as that uh, character. And um, you can kind of, you know, maybe look at that as, as sort of Chekhov's nascent demon lord. He, he's going to show up at some point um and feature i think in a pretty strong role there i mean there's this implication of like the adventure path where kionan and tanglebriar finally go to war uh is been a sort of a obvious adventure path plot from day one uh whether it's an adventure path or a mega adventure or something where you know who knows what it's something that i've kind of been ready to work on pretty much whenever um it's it's a plot line that doesn't really have to happen yet any specific spot or timeline or anything like that. Um, but in particular, one thing that I'm really eager to do is to go back and explore Kionin and explore it in a way that has 
that allows us to look at elves as, as like aliens. They're as, as chaotic good creatures. Um, so much of what we did in the very early years uh, leaned, I think, too hard on like the D&D or Tolkien sort of traditions of what elves are. And um, they're, Galarian elves are a lot more than that. They're, they're not, uh, they don't really, they're not xenophobic. They, they aren't super, you know, true. They, they, they kind of change appearance if they live place too long. Long, and there's stuff that we can explore in Ionan subtext point. We're I'm kind of just waiting for the to do it. Um, we got a schedule, a lot going on. So hopefully someday just want to see more Ionan stuff. Just on the message boards and let the, the publisher know. More importantly, well, he's in the chat. So uh... all right. Oh no, so mask penguin. Mass Penguin asks, um, with Belkson wanting to open up to the rest of the world, are they going to adopt the Last Wall refugees? Luis? Uh, I think I have some insight there, too. Um, I think it's uh, a bit of... I don't know if they, they take in the refugees because the the whole of the Belkson is uh, not necessarily that much safer than the Gravelands. But I can definitely see the inverse happening where they come in to make things safe for, for whoever's left there. Uh, there. There's a lot of, there's a lot more acceptance suddenly when you have uh, uh, all these undead to serve as your main enemy. You know, old grudges kind of fall to the wayside when it's like, well, we got to kill thousands or millions of undead. Let's ask our orc friends. Let's ask the hobgoblins in Oprak for help. Uh, so I think that's more likely to happen than, than have refugees come in. I think, if anything, refugees would probably try to head south as far away from the Gravelands as possible. So the likes of Absalom and, and Taldor and, and Andoran are, are the more likely places to take in refugees. Uh, but the orcs, are, I, I could definitely see them coming in to help uh, clear up the place, just because, at the very least, it's another good fight to, to partake in. All right, so Yisbird Naws asks, will we learn anything more about the Stormkindlers and the Sodden Lands and the Mwangi books? Not to pile too many questions on you, Luis. <laughs> oh, no problem. Uh, so the, the Sodden Lands definitely get a, a, a bit of focus in the Mwangi Expanse book. This book is enormous, and I feel like even with 312 pages, it doesn't scratch the surface. It's barely scratching the surface. Um, I know that the Stormkindlers get a brief mention, uh, but we don't really go into depth uh, about what they're doing at the moment. But but there's, a, I think, four to six pages uh, on, on the Sodden Lands themselves that I think you can use to kind of expand on that and, and build on any campaign ideas or, or adventures that you'd like to do. All right, so Prince Seteheriel, I love mispronouncing screen or handles. Um, when would we learn more about more lore about the first fifth horseman, the Bound Prince? This might be a James one. Um, that's another another topic up in in one of the wind songs. That one, uh, um, the three plasma touches a little bit on that character. It's an interesting character. He, we 
got mentioned before even there was a Pathfinder G, I believe, back in the, the first Great Beyond book when we're still by stuff and leaning really on, you know, things like the Tomers and, and stuff like that. And you know, you deal back far enough in time and you get to like first edition D&D had this character, the Oina Daemon, who was the boss of all the daemons. And he had a name, is he was called Anthraxis. And he had all these other people vying for us, like Bubonis and Cholerus and all of these demons that were named after diseases. And that was kind of, I guess, fine for the time. But right now it's not really, I mean, particularly today, it's not a, a tradition I'm interested in carrying on at all. Um, so we've been increasingly, whenever this topic comes up and, and we're talking about this first primal horseman, have been moving away from this this incarnation as a, of an Oina daemon that and developing the care of something that is a part of, of and there's a stuff that I think the last that we've we've talk, talked about this care a little bit I think um the this adventure of Return of the Rune Lords shows up a little, little bit in there kind of even sort of implied not really even on screen it's it's some um, certainly not in the category of errors uh, death or anything that will never out work I I'm interested in having more, more stuff about the up or gal or whatever it ends up being on screen, but um, uh, uh, not yet. I don't know if he's popping any of the the women's books recently. I pretty key at this point. All right, <clears throat> round one gaming asks. Are the are the forsaken and hiding? Looking from uh, the um, is that the uh, the, uh, the demigod uh, associated with? I'm trying to not too much here in an event. They're associated I know, with right? uh, <laughs> the 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 obs the caligny, correct? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I knew you did um, some work on that yeah, figure, so. Yeah, they, they're in hiding. Um, the basic idea of the first is that they're sort of the other, or the inverse of the role playlist. Um, that was the original kind of starting spot for them that Wes were talking about many, many, many years ago. Um, and we've just kind of been dropped about them in uh, there we got uh, Ob showed up in Best Thirty Three, right? Um, uh, that that uh, are four. So step, um, say um, calling it them as in hiding is a good way to. I mean, they're certainly hiding from the plot working on. But uh, yeah, they still have power. I'm, I'm yeah. Yes. Yes. All right, Luis, do you have another one while I scroll through some of these? Uh, I wanted to pull up one of the other art pieces that we have, I think, to show that off real quick. Uh, so if Ooh, we want to pull up let's uh, do it. number four, slide number four here, um, we were talking earlier about uh, revolutions and stuff. And here's a, a, an upcoming piece from the Mwangi Expanse book. This is the uh, the ship 
uh, is set in, in in Vidrian. This is right after the the revolution at Vidrian. This is just as they've gotten liberty and freedom and have become liberated as a, a new nation. So this is kind of a big opener that introduces the the people and the the regions uh, of the manga expanse. So it's kind of a, an interesting scene of history that we've talked about, but because of the nature of how things kind of played out in explaining the, the change over from uh, Sagarva to Vidrian. We didn't really showcase it yet, but now this piece here kind of shows that momentous uh, occasion uh, as uh, you know, freedom it, it has been won in Vidrian. And we uh, might have a piece of web fiction coming soon that will um, show a little scene of what's happening uh, in Vidrian when or shortly after that transition has taken place. Or maybe not. <laughs> While not related to Galarian, as I was scrolling through, I saw someone ask, uh, do we have to wear these shirts at work or is it just for the stream? And it's no, these are just convention wear. <laughs> Wait, you mean I don't have to? Hmm. <laughs> I mean, you can. Um... All right, this is yeah. actually not lore based, but it's still interesting. Um, Thyatis asks, what's your favorite place in Galarian? So let's start with Mark. Because we're about to have to wrap this up. Yeah, my favorite place in Galarian, I think that the one of the places that I think is most interesting to tell stories is, is um, Nadal. We did quite a bit of with Nadal right at the end of first edition, so I don't know when we'll be going there again. But um, yeah, I like Nadal. James, I think we know the answer to this. Standpoint. Standpoint. <laughs> easy, easy answer. Uh, Luis. Uh, I don't think I can officially say Arcadia as an answer, so I'm going to stick to something with uh, within the inner sea. Uh, I am still very fond of Verissia. I mean, it's the first bit that we explored with Pathfinder in this first area I kind of learned about because you know, I started off basically right out of the gate with Pathfinder uh, at its release. So it's near and dear to my heart. Uh, I guess only second to Katapesh because I ran Legacy of Fire as my very first AP. Uh, and I kind of <laughs> liked that nation as well. Um, I'm going to do the flip-flop of what Luis's answer was and definitively say that Arcadia is my favorite um, with Verissia <laughs> as a with Verissia as a second. <laughs> All right. Uh, we've got five minutes left, so let's start wrapping this up. Um, let's talk about where people can find you on social medias. And again, we'll go in that same order. We'll start with Mark. Uh, on social media, I am Yoda, the numeral eight, my head. Yoda ate my head, like it says right down there. Um, and, uh, that's the best place to find me on socials. See you around. All right, James. I'm sort of a hermit. Uh, you can find me at the forums. I answer questions there over on my uh, at Ashton. And um, I'll certainly be here all weekend. And uh, we have a lot 
lot of us have asking uh, threads over on the disc. If you have any questions or that you we didn't get to, go ahead and ask, uh, drop it in there, and I can do to answer. Them. Luis, yeah, uh, you can uh, find me at Donato Classic, which is right down here in the nice little uh, bottom section. Uh, you can also visit my site, uh, LuisLoza.com, which has links to my socials, which are a lot easier than trying to remember how to spell my Twitter handle. And yeah, as James mentioned, I'll be in the Discord uh, all weekend. Uh, come by the AMA channel and ask your questions. Uh, I'll be happy to, at the very least, tag someone else that might know the answer if I don't know what it is, and maybe help you get some kind of answer if you come by. And um, yeah, mine is in the uh, little bar at the bottom. Um, it's at Daigle uh, at, on Twitter. And like the others, I will be in the Discord this weekend. Um, I want to thank everybody for showing up and for all your interesting questions. And I know I didn't get to a lot of you guys, but maybe next time. Um, but for now, <laughs> stick around. Stick around um, for at six o'clock, Band on the Run, written by Luis Loza, an awesome Starfinder um, one-shot is going to be run by the awesome crew at Dragons and Things. So, Stay tuned, wait for that small break, and then enjoy a whole lot of fun from a live play. All right. Well, bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.